you shouldn't expect everything to change overnight. But by you sharing your story, you're breaking down walls because for some of these people, they've never heard these stories. Welcome to the Xeno Learn podcast, where we ask the question, if you could teach the next generation one thing, what would it be? I'm your host, Claire, and I'm so excited for you to join us today. And welcome back, Xeno Learners, to another episode of the Xeno Learn podcast. Today, we are joined by the delightful Joe. Joe, hi, how are you today? Hi, Claire. I'm doing great. I'm just enjoying the day. It's actually sunny here in Seattle. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. I would love it if you could introduce yourself to our Xeno learners and tell us a little bit about your story, Joe. Yeah, so my name's Jared Ondo. I reside here in Seattle, Washington as of 2015. Other than that, I was born and raised in a West Texas town named Abilene. I never thought I would ever leave there. I identify as a gay Latino in the United States of America. I use the terms he, him pronouns. And my family has been in Texas for a really, really long time, for multiple generations. So we're also people who identify as Tejano, so descendants of Spanish and indigenous people from that area that kind of just never left. It's kind of fairly normal for a lot of families there in Texas. Mm -hmm. And what do you do now? Could you tell us a little bit about your podcast? So I started a podcast in 2020 during the COVID pandemic. It's called My Latinx Life. So uh, if anybody wants to go listen, please do. I wouldn't hate any more listeners. Um, and it's really focused on the experience of BIPOC community and specifically the Latinx community, because that's where my largest connections come here as a gay Latinx person. And I use the term Latinx because I understand that I serve a community that is not just heteronormative. I work with the homosexual LGBTQ plus community, and I want to include my non-binary brothers and sisters and those in between who use various different types of pronouns and identify in different ways. So the X really denotes that in the work that I want to do. Um, does it have negative connotation? 100%. Yes, because it is an anglicized version of a letter that is not used in most Spanish-speaking countries. The X sound doesn't work and flow naturally. It doesn't work with anything else. And as we know, Spanish is a gendered language. That is just what it is. It's romance language. And so we roll with it. And it, that's really what I do is I lead this podcast about people in the community who possibly have jobs that may be the BIPOC, which is also Black, Indigenous, and people of color community may not think of as work or how to get into that field or that that's even a job because they've never been exposed to anybody in that way and that just have an interesting story. So I just like to highlight the people that I enjoy and I really decided to lean my podcast into that. But the part of the day that I actually make money to pay my bills because that's how the world works is I work in healthcare and I've been in healthcare about 15 years now, a field that I never thought I'd actually work in either. I work in the data side and the technological side of IT in healthcare. Now I've really, since being in Seattle, have leaned into the EDI work, the equity, diversity, and inclusion work, and really highlighting the voices of the people in the organization. So that's kind of what's led me down this path to creating a podcast about diversity, equity, inclusion, and lifting up the voices of those communities. Can you tell me, was there like a moment that maybe inspired that first thought of we should record these conversations. Was there a person or a story that sparked that flame? 
it was a really weird adventure. So when I was still in Texas in about 2012, I started working on my family tree. I was one of those kids who was really nosy and always asked why. So I always wanted to know more about like where I came from and things like that. So I started doing our family tree and it took me down this path where I found actually on both sides of our family, we had these really weird, interesting stories about family members that we just didn't talk about or that nobody actually knew about. And then as I really came into myself and I really started exploring my queer identity and who that was and how that came about, I really learned that in both sides of my family, there's actually been multiple, multiple people that identify as LGBT or that we can probably assume identified as LGBT based on their lifestyle and the way that they lived during that time. And I really thought, well, these are stories that nobody's ever told. And so that really always made me think about that. And then when I moved to the Pacific Northwest, I didn't have a community. Growing up in Texas, there's a lot of people who look like me, a lot of people who have similar stories as me. So there was this natural built-in community of what it meant to be Tejano and be Latino in the United States and what that felt like and that there was food and community and culture. Coming to the Pacific Northwest, I moved into a suburb of Seattle and it was real not diverse. It was real white. I remember looking and asking one of my neighbors, like, where's a good place to like get tacos or breakfast burritos? And they said Taco Bell. And that just broke my heart. And so I started looking for some type of community. And I was like, okay, well, I spend eight to 10 hours a day at work. So I need to see if there's something there. And I really did find a community there. And that's really what led me down this path. And so I chair our inclusion network at the organization. So I'm the chair for that and have been for the last three years. And because of that work, I got to meet lots of really interesting people and hear their stories because that's just a natural part of our community is to listen and talk and really get to know somebody on a much deeper level so that we can really work with them. And in doing that, that's really just triggered. I was like, well, there was these parts of my family we never unearthed and I have been unearthing and telling the stories and bringing them back to light. So why do I not just do the same thing with people? And then when 2020 hit and we were all in a pandemic, I told myself, well, what can I do to keep myself from going crazy? Because I live by myself. So yeah, I decided to take something off my bucket list and start a podcast was on there. And I was like, well, what am I going to talk about? And I was like, actually, I can tell stories. This is actually a really easy thing that I can do in tangible and that's sustainable for a long-term goal. I also recognized that there was this need and desire in the community to hear these stories for people to share their stories with other people, to inspire people, to give people hope, and to just remind people like, you can do what you want. There's no reason that if you want to go into healthcare, you have to be a doctor or nurse. Yes, that is amazing. If you want to be a doctor or nurse, we want you to be a doctor or nurse and be a doctor or nurse of person of color. But if you want to be the ultrasound tech, if you want to be the radiology tech, if you want to be the security guard, if you want to work in the cafeteria, those are all things that have to happen in the hospital. There are accountants as well. Yeah, data. Like we understand that the information that comes into the organization is only as good and only serves the patients and families if the people who are working come from the same community. So really just being able to share those stories so people know that those careers are out there and that they should say, let's go for it. Why not? Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about some of the members of your community. We hear some of their stories on the podcast. And I really like the casual atmosphere that you create. It really feels like you're a fly on the wall listening in. So what is something that someone who hasn't heard your podcast yet can expect when they hear the community members that you are highlighting? Yeah, I'm really glad that the underlying tone and the theme of the show is really coming out. Because the whole theme is like, I want it to feel like you're just in your mom's kitchen. For Latino culture and many cultures around the world, Some of the best memories for families happen in the kitchen and happen around food. And it's usually around a celebration. 
may it be life, maybe a new baby's born, a wedding, something like that. But there's also food at funerals where people are talking and remembering and talking about the good times. And I really just thought like some of my favorite memories are around my aunts in the kitchens, my uncles in the living room, the kids running around um, and all the things that you heard. Like you would just go from one room to the next room and you hear all these fun, different conversations. And that's where you learned. And that's really where you got to meet your family. And so I wanted it to be like that. And so really my community is a huge, vast diaspora of people and things like that. And these are the conversations people need to hear. These are the conversations people enjoy where we talk about things and people just feel natural. I want people to feel like they can share who they are because people are not just one thing. They're an intersectional being. And for those people who don't know what intersectionality is, it's where two different parts of a person or multiple parts of a person come together to create the whole person. So you're not just one thing. You're not just a woman. You're not just white. You're a white woman who navigates the spaces of these stories. I'm a gay man in America who identifies that way and navigates the world that way. So we're multiple things. And I just like to share those stories. And people want to talk about themselves. Like that's a natural human instinct. Most people want somebody to listen. And I think more now than ever in America, people want to tell their stories and they want people to hear their stories, especially because people have felt so oppressed and so held down for so long because it's just this idea of systemic racism that has just been a part of our everyday lives. People want to talk about their feelings. So yeah, that's kind of where I pick my guests from. They come from everywhere. Part of my work is I also sit on a board for a local nonprofit here that serves the LGBT Latinx community. I have friends at multiple big companies that also run their employee resource groups. So we get together on a biweekly call and we talk about things. So that's where some of my guests come from. Yeah. And there are people that I have 100% made friends with on the train I've made friends with on the bus and things like that. And those are people that I want to tell their stories. That's amazing. What is it like for guests when they come on and they share their story? So I thought it was going to be much harder to get people to tell their story. But the amount of people who are like, yeah, I'll do it. And I'm like, oh, I really had this whole spill in my head. I'm ready to like sell you on it. Yeah. So that's been really fun. Like people just want to do it. And I know like in our emails, you kind of mentioned one of the podcasts, the one with Jonathan Carmona, and he tells a story about his cousin dying by suicide. After that story, and he mentions it in there, I don't know if everybody caught it, but that was the first time he'd ever publicly told that story. It was not something that he shares very openly with everybody. Like people know about it and it can't be hidden, but it was the first time he'd ever really spoken about it, Mm -hmm. which was also really interesting because I was like, okay, you feel 100% vulnerable in a space where you're telling your story and potentially hundreds of millions of people could listen to it. But he said, you created a space that made me feel comfortable enough to even tell that story. And for me, that's the rewarding part. I get more out of that than I will get out of anything is just letting people tell their story. And so people like to tell them and they feel really relieved. And it feels like it's a step on their journey to tell their story and to make sure other people hear it. So let's talk about storytelling then, because everyone has a story. What can listeners who are perhaps not in the Latinx community learn about the Latinx community from listening to these stories? Yeah, so most of my stories are going to be Latinx focused, but they will be also BIPOC stories and things like that. And at a point, we're going to have some of our white colleagues on there, people who are on their own journey of this. So the thing that I hope people get is something that I use in a lot of my work. And I have a really good friends who have kind of helped mold this saying and really taught it and reminded me of it is this is a time for those people who don't identify with the Latinx or the BIPOC identity is to really take a moment to listen and to learn and to support. You don't need to co-sign on everything. We just need you to say, I'm listening and I'm here. You don't need to say you understand. You don't need to share your own experience. 
sometimes you just need to like, as I say it, like shut up and sit back. And that's perfectly content. Like sometimes that's what you need to do. We don't need you to be the white savior. We don't need you to come in and say that you're saving society and things like that. What we're saying is now you need to listen and learn. So now you've listened. Now you need to go back and decide how you're going to fix these issues or be a part of the solution. If you're not part of the problem, that's fine. That's great. There's still a problem. And what are you going to do? Are you going to call out your colleagues? Are you going to call out your families and friends whenever they make mistakes? Are you going to take the opportunity to educate people? Are you going to take the opportunity to learn more? That's important. So that's really what I hope people get out of it is when they're listening to it, that that's what they get. And I recognize like, I live in a fairly white part of America. And so a lot of my colleagues are white people in America who, for all intent purposes, air quotes, are woke. And I should say, like, I work for Seattle Children's Hospital. That's no surprise. I say that just a friendly reminder, I don't speak for them. And I don't speak for the organization. I speak for myself. But there's these conversations that are constantly happening with various different things that are happening within our organization and things that are happening in the community, things that are happening in the world. There's these conversations because as people, we take those with us to work. And so I hear from some of my white colleagues and they're like, I listened to your podcast. Thank you. It's given me something to think about and something to take back. Or they're like, hey, they have a really interesting job and we're looking to recruit more people from that field. I'd love to chat with them and how we mold our work into that. I'm lucky that I surround myself with lots of people who want to give back, but it's also not their responsibility to always give back. And I always tell people that also is like, you don't need to reach out to these people all the time. Also, like lots of them do want to be reached out to. And so I say, go ahead and try it. But remember, like, it is not their obligation to educate you. It is your own obligation to go out and learn. It sounds like a lot of listeners have also been transformed, have learned and have perhaps seen and understood a perspective that was different from their own. And do you think that's part of the relief that people feel when they are sharing their stories is that they are breaking down some of those barriers, some of those things that aren't talked about openly? Oh, 100%. That is what I hear all the time. When people share their stories in spaces, there's a sense of relief that comes because they are part of the solution. And so most of the time I always tell people like, I want so much change in the world that I'm very realistic that I won't see 90% of the solutions ever happen in my lifetime. And I'm okay with that. And so I lead by, if I can see even just 1% of it, then I feel okay. If I know that I move the needle some for the next generation, that helps me. And so that's how I lead my work. And I tell people, I was like, you shouldn't expect everything to change overnight. But by you sharing your story, you're breaking down walls because for some of these people, they've never heard these stories. And when you share your story, it makes it even more powerful because these people hear me all the time. I'm in these safe bases. I'm in these conversations. People feel comfortable with me. Like that is understandable. And that is what happens. And people are used to hearing me. And I'm like, when they hear you, it makes it more impactful because for some of these people, they're really fairly quiet or timid, or they don't feel safe all the time in the spaces that they are in. So we create these spaces and I create these spaces and I do that with the whole team. I just, I want to be very truthful and honest. Everything I do, I do with a great, amazing team. And when I say team, it's a people that I surround myself with on a regular basis who really help me and really educate me also because I'm not perfect and I'm still human and I'm still learning. So yeah, there's this sense of relief because they feel like they're moving the needle and they're breaking down part of those barriers and they're being part of the solution. And sharing your story can be part of the solution. Yeah. Like you don't have to go out and pick it. Like if you want to go out and pick it and protest, I say go for it. Like if you want to go out and you want to change the world by giving and volunteering, go for it. But for some people, the way that they give back and they break down barriers is by sharing their story. And that is more than enough and more than powerful for most people. 
Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about this EDI, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Council in your workspace. Yeah, so I work at Seattle Children's and we have what they call inclusion networks. So they are networks that are under an umbrella called the Workforce Planning Diversity Inclusion Team. And each of these committees, there's seven of them in the organization. So the way that a lot of equity, diversity, and inclusion work works is that there's what they either call BRGs, business resource groups, or ERGs, employee resource groups. The organization I work for likes to do everything and put their own spin on things and really try to be innovative in the way that we think about stuff. Are we perfect? No. And I will go on the record and say that we are not perfect. We are far from it. We already had affinity groups before. We revamped the program and the revamping is really turning them into inclusion networks to create inclusive spaces in the organization for various types of communities and marginalized communities and experiences within the organization. So we have Ola, which is our Latinx and Hispanic employee group. We also have an LGBTQ plus group called QPod. We have a group called Bond, the Black and African Heritage Network. We just launched a new group this year called Pacifica, which is highlighting our Pacific Islander, Native, Indigenous people of that area, as well as the Asian community they are launching this year. We also have a veterans network for our veterans and veterans families. There's also a green network, which is for our green and sustainability measures and a parenting network. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the seven that really are there within the organization. So we try to work together. So I chair the Latino group and I'm part of our LGBT group and the veterans network because I'm not a veteran, but we have many people in my family who are veterans and have served in the armed forces. And I grew up in a very big military town. So it's always just been part of my life. And it's just been part of the culture I grew up in and supporting those families and veterans moving into the workspaces. So it's my way to say, like, I may not directly be impacted by that, but that's where I learn about allyship and how to support that community. What does that look like in the healthcare field concretely? When you created these inclusion networks, How can a person, perhaps a veteran or a member of the LGBTQ community or a Latinx individual, feel the impact of that inclusion network in the context of Seattle Children's Hospital? It differs from each group. And I will be really honest because each group gets to run their own programming, how they manage their team and things like that. So I will only specifically talk for the way that it feels for the OLA team and my experiences and the other ones are just my experiences, not me leading the work. So for the OLA Inclusion Network, it's really about highlighting and showing that there is a community of Latinx employees within the organization. In healthcare, we know only about 3% of leadership is usually a person of color. So there's a very low amount of leadership and things like that. So then we also know that the U.S. Statistics Bureaus and information that comes from the U.S. Statistics tells us that the Latinx experience, Hispanic people will be a third of the population within the next 30 years. So we have to figure out how do we balance those ratios a little bit better so that healthcare better reflects them. So making sure that when Latinx people come into the organization, that they know that there's this communities, people who support them, who have similar and shared experiences, come together and we share our stories. We talk about the things that are impacting us in our daily work, impacting us in our families, impacting our community. And how do we share those stories and how do we come together and say, these are solutions that are working for other people. How can we help and support each other? So it really comes as a way to support the Latinx community and the organization. And that comes in different ways. We have speakers, we have get-togethers. Sometimes we just, we literally have this thing called Cafecito. We started it during the pandemic every week. It's just a video chat and it's just as many people as want to. There's no form to it. People just drop in. They can just listen. They can talk. If you have a problem, you bring it up. 
we talk about gossip that's happening in our neighborhoods of people <laughs> in the neighborhood community. Like, it's just very much like what it's like to get together with your family and your friends. And we wanted to really create this community. And it's been the thing that we have found really, really helpful during the pandemic. And it reminded us, this is why the group is here, is to create this community, create this space where people feel like their voice is heard, where people with similar experiences are able to share their experience and not feel as judged, not to Mm -hmm. feel like somebody's there to discount their experience. And so that is the cornerstone is that we tell people don't discount other people's experience. If it's not yours, it's not yours. That's understandable. Mm -hmm. We all have different experience because also the term Latinx is a weird made up term to encompass a very large population of people with very different experiences and cultures. And yes, the one thing that probably binds most of us is the colonizer. And we get that. But we also have similar experiences and similar historical context to our culture and things like that. So that's really what brings us together. And so it creates this really fun space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can feel how passionate you are about this and about your community when you talk about it. And I'd love to shift now into something a bit more fun. As you said, Latinx designates a broad, like a huge community of people with different backgrounds, histories but there are things in common. So what are some of those things in common? And what are some of the things that you enjoy celebrating the most about your community? So I was talking to one of our providers. She works in the office next to ours. uh, And she's Puerto Rican. So she grew up on this island, beautiful, came to the mainland. I went to medical school and she studied in the U.S. and now practices in the Pacific Northwest. And one of the things we were just chatting about, it's really funny. And people who identify as Latinx or BIPOC community may understand this. There was always these containers of food in the refrigerator, leftovers. And we make a joke because they're always left in country crock margarine containers, the brown margarine containers, but they're never margarine. And everybody that I know doesn't eat margarine. So we never know where these margarine containers come from, but that's where the leftover rice, the leftover beans and things like that were always stored. It's this ongoing joke that like when you look in the refrigerator, the thing that you can always expect at so many Latino houses and Latinx families is that there's going to be a country crock container with some type of leftovers. It's never going to be butter. And so it's really stupid, but really fun and connecting pieces that make it really fun. And that's what brings our culture together is like it's Mm -hmm. things that don't make sense, but make sense at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, that bring us together. And also our love for food, our love for music, and just our love for our families. It's a huge part of our culture is the importance of the family unit. For many of us, we're multi-generational families. So we live with multi-generations in a home sometimes. And a lot of us, we grew up that way. Our grandparents either lived in the house, our aunts and uncles lived in the house, cousins lived in the house, or they lived close where we saw them every day. And that they were around every day. They came over for meals on a regular basis. And for Mm -hmm. us, that's really what brings us together in the organization is we spend a lot of time around food and around sharing our experiences and our family dynamic, because that's what brings our community together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that you touch on something that's really, really special. And that's the connection that food has. I know that growing up, I would always do my homework on the kitchen table because I just loved being around my mom as she was making food. And then you go and create a podcast where it feels very much like you're having that conversation before you sit down to have dinner together. Is there maybe a dish in particular that you love that you can share a fond memory of? Growing up in Texas, there's a culture of eating queso, which is just melted cheese and tortilla chips. It is a culture that I did not recognize was a Texas culture until I left there. 
anytime you go to a Mexican restaurant, there's queso and chips automatically brought to the table. Like it's just an understanding, like you expect that to come. And so there's this idea that you can have a whole meal. Like there was plenty of times I would go out with friends, we would have drinks or I'd go out with my cousins or I'd go out with my parents as we got older. We would go somewhere and there would just be chips and salsa. We'll sit there for like two or three hours, queso, things like that. We'd have drink after drink after drink, but the whole meal was just revolved around us going where we like the chips and queso. Mm-hmm. As weird as the chips and queso, which is not really any real food, it was just really what brought people together. But growing up, it was always getting together on Sunday after church. So we would go to mass and after mass, you'd end up at places like buffets or Mexican restaurants where they have large seating for groups. And and there was these meals around Mexican breakfast that just felt so natural on Sundays after church. But yeah, it was just these Mm -hmm. really great memories around food. So you are originally from Texas. And I think that we have a kind of stereotype of what Texas is. But I would love to hear for you growing up in Texas in the Tejano community, what was the culture and the lifestyle that you were immersed in? And how does that compare to perhaps the stereotypical idea of what life is like in Texas? Yeah. So a question I hear all the time. So stereotypical, number one, if you've never been to Texas, we all don't ride horses every day. That is a weird stereotype that I 100% have heard. Did you drive a horse to school? Um, So that's one thing I grew up like there are cities like we are a state like we have some of the largest cities in the United States and we have these very known metropolitan areas. But there is still country life. There are places I grew up that every Friday night they close for football. Friday night lights is a real thing. Football does take precedent on Friday nights during the fall. Everybody goes to church on Sunday in the part of the world I grow in. I think the misconception is like, yes, there are lots of very conservative people in Texas. And there's also very liberal people in Texas. Growing up, I grew up in a very Mexican Tejano neighborhood. So I went to an elementary school that was 95% Latino or Hispanic families. And that was a, a different experience. Like I didn't understand that there was not a place to get breakfast burritos every morning in your neighborhood. That was not something that made sense to me because so many places in Texas were like that even. And then I moved to the Pacific Northwest and I was like, oh, there's not people who look like me that all live together and have lived there for a really long time. So yeah, um, in Texas, almost everybody is Mexican-American or Tejano and have been there for a really long time. Um, In the Pacific Northwest, there's a bigger variety of people from various different parts of Latin America and Spanish-speaking countries. I'm so absorbed in your stories right now, and I want to thank you for your time today. And I just have one more question for you, Joe. We ask this question at the end of every podcast. Xenolearn's mission is to make the world safer for human differences. So if you could teach the next generation one thing about human differences or diversity or inclusion, what would that be? Good question. And I've listened to your podcast, so I knew this question was coming. And I just kept trying to think, like, what am I going to say? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Then I thought, I was like, why am I planning? That's not the way I work. It should be instinctive. It should be instinctive. Trust my gut. I know what I'm doing. So the thing I would tell the next generation is that in the differences is when you find similarities that you weren't aware of, as weird as that sounds. When you accept other people's differences, you really start to learn about the person and where you actually connect. And things that are probably different are probably far less than the things that actually are very similar and what brings people together. Everybody wants to feel like they belong. Everybody wants to feel like they have a safe space. Everybody wants to feel like their voice is heard. And if you do that, then everything else is really not that important because if people feel heard, you're listening to their stories already. If you're doing everything right, then everything else just feels easy and natural. It doesn't feel like it's a burden to you. And so that's what I would say. So yeah, 
Thanks, Claire. I really appreciate all that amazing feedback. I'm glad that it feels like that for you and for other listeners, and I hope that it just continues on my side. Thank you very much, Joe, and I will keep listening. Thank you, Claire, and I'll keep listening to you as well. Thank you so much to Joe Arredondo for sharing his stories and his podcast, My Latinx Life. Be sure to check out My Latinx Life on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your platform of choice. You can also follow Joe and the podcast on Instagram and Twitter. All links will be in the description of this episode. Now, what are the takeaways from this conversation? Number one, people want to share their stories and break down barriers. Like Joe's guests, When we give someone the space to express their authentic selves, people feel empowered and listeners learn about a new perspective or experience. So it's important to create those spaces for diverse and inclusive conversation. Number two, I loved when Joe said, in the differences is where you find similarities that you weren't aware of. And it's true. We can find connection in our differences because our similarities outweigh our differences. Number three, creating inclusive policies help people feel a sense of worthiness and belonging in an organization. Joe's example of the inclusion networks at Seattle Children's Hospital demonstrates how creating communities for support, connection, and advocacy can help traditionally marginalized and BIPOC communities feel seen and heard. And finally, number four, Joe mentioned that despite the growing Latinx population in the U.S. and the growing Latinx users of the healthcare system, only a small fraction of leadership and management positions in healthcare are led by people from the Latinx community. Diversity and inclusion are only as effective as the diverse and inclusive leaders in an organization. More Latinx and BIPOC professionals should be appointed to positions of management and leadership so that they can reflect and represent these experiences in healthcare systems. If you liked this episode and learned a lot from our conversation, We ask Xeno learners to do one thing, share. Help raise our guests' voices by sharing this podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. We've also started a review shoutout on Instagram. Rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, and your review might be featured in next week's episode promo. The Xeno Learn podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. You can find us at Xenolearn on all social media and www.xenolearn.com. Direction, hosting, and editing by Claire Lunison. Research and production assistance by Ashley Williams. Stay curious, embrace your differences, and remember, Xenolearners, you belong. We'll be back next week with another great episode of the Xeno Learn podcast. Mm-hmm.